Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today we are talking about Carson's Village. In studio with me is their president and founder, Jason Dyke. Sir, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, recommended by the Jordan Elizabeth Harris Foundation. Christina Judge uh, was on the show a while back, and I asked her who should stop by, and she mentioned you and your organization, so I do appreciate you uh, coming in. Let's talk about what you guys do. Who are you? What do you do? Well, first off, let me thank Christina for doing that. That was very nice of her. And Alan Harris is a, is a good friend of mine also. They, and were, she's, they yes. were great. They both came in, and they were really nice. Very interesting interview. Great organization. Um, they were great. Yeah. I enjoyed speaking with them they, a lot. They've got a really good mission, a lot of good programs, and I think they're going to do a lot of good in Fort Worth. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So tell me about Carson's Village. What do you guys do? So Carson's Village is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that helps families from passing to the funeral. So in uh, April of uh, 2017, we lost our son, Carson, who was 11, uh, to suicide. And it, it took us back. We were not prepared for that. We weren't. We, we hadn't even picked out where we were going to be married, much less our 11-year-old son. And so we found out through that process that there are a lot of families that don't have the support that we had. And so we wanted to find a way to give back. And so that was where we came up with Carson's Village. Planning for something like this is always tough, given the circumstances that you're in, no matter what type of circumstance you find yourself in, if that makes sense. Did you know how to do this? Did you know how to go about this? I didn't know a thing. So... It was a Friday night, and uh, we, I've got three boys, Alex, Ryan, Carson, and Alex is a trainer for the high school, so he was at the softball game that night, and my wife and I were with Ryan and Carson at the house, and Carson had, had a bad day, and he had gotten in trouble and a little argument here and there, and so uh, he just he was not doing well. So my wife, who's got her doctorate in education and works in special ed, sat and talked with him. They had a good conversation, and we wanted to go to dinner, and he said he didn't want to go. We go, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to go to a neighbor's house and see some things that they had done in their backyard. We'll come back and get you in about 30 minutes, and then we'll go grab dinner. So we left with Ryan, went and saw the neighbor's house. I was getting pretty hungry, ready to go. It had been 20, 30 minutes, and so my wife wasn't ready to leave, and she said, well, why don't you go get Carson, and then um, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go grab dinner. And so Ryan and I went back to the house to get Carson. Uh, it was dark. Uh, we left, the sun was up, and we came back, the sun was down. And so I went upstairs to try to find him. And he had taken a pair of pajama pants and hung himself on the safety rail of a bed that I'd created or built for him about a year ago, um, Christmas. And um, I found him. I pulled him down. Uh, had Ryan call 911, but I, I knew he already passed. And it was just a blur. Yeah, the EMS paramedics showed up. They uh, they took over. I sat there and watched them. They they took him down the, the stairs. I left to go get April and tell her what had happened. And she actually, as I turned the corner to go get her, she was walking down the sidewalk with her iPhone light on her on so she could see the sidewalk. And I walked up to her and she goes, are you mad because, uh, you know, I stayed too long? I'm like, no, no, no. And I, I told her and she did not react well, obviously. And I put her in the Jeep and we turned around. And as I turned the corner, it was dark. And so you could see the flashing lights of the paramedics and the fire truck and the the police and it was it was tough so we we took her to the house they wouldn't let us see carson because they had done a lot to to get him to make sure he was okay um they took him to the hospital and then at the hospital they pronounced him dead and i was asked to to sign him out and as i'm signing him out i was kind of half joking but i asked for my brochure and the hospital goes, what brochure? And I go, well, the brochure is going to tell me what to do because I don't have a clue as to what to do. And they said, well, um, you find a funeral home, and then they'll they'll kind of walk you through everything. We, they had some resources, but uh, that was it. It was needed to find a funeral home. 
And I walked out of there that night with my wife and my two boys without a clue what to do. And um, so that night we called her family, my family, and we called our bus family. And I say our bus family because we own a Texas A&M shuttle bus together. It's a 1982 Thomas. It's an old uh, 46 passenger bus that's uh, 37 feet long that we retrofitted for tailgating for A&M football games. And the group that we know, uh, that we own the bus with, we've known for 25 plus years. I Honestly, I try to stop doing the math on that, but we've known <laughs> a long time. And uh, our bus family came into town and just completely took care of us. I mean, walked us through everything start to finish. They helped us with pictures. They helped us find the funeral home. They helped us with a cemetery. Uh, when I went to the uh, the funeral home, they, we actually had a friend come with us uh, that helped us during that that process that... It's tough. It's tough because at one point I had an option of buying some flowers for the casket and, you know, they were not cheap flowers. And I thought, man, I need to buy these flowers because I don't want somebody to think I didn't love my son. And that's the depths you're at when that happens. And my friend, uh, Jennifer Barkowski, said, you know what, that's, that's all right. We'll put an a flag on the casket instead. And that's what we did. And that meant more to me than a bunch of dumb flowers ever would have. And so as we went through the process that week and we got out of it, um, I uh, saw my wife. She was typing on her phone. I go, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm taking some notes. I thought maybe there's some things that we learned that we could put on Facebook or put on social media someplace that might help other families. And so I thought, you know, I did what everybody does nowadays. I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to ask the Google. So I went and Googled to see if there's an organization out there that helps families from passing the funeral, maybe, you know, to, to give them some tips or let them know what we had done. And there's not one organization I found that helps uh, families from passing the funeral. There's a ton that'll help after with bereavement and counseling, but nobody that helps you from passing to the funeral. And so that's what we decided to do is start Carson's Village, which is a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit that helps uh, families from passing the funeral. Was it the collective knowledge of those 25 friends that, is that how you were able to gather all the knowledge that you needed? Did each person kind of have, oh, I had to do this this one time and, and I have experience with this? Was it the pooling of those resources? It, it was. It was partially that. It was. It was lear learning a lot as we went because we didn't know what we didn't know, and and clearly. Everybody gets through this process. It happens every day. You know, you go to a funeral home or you decide you want to do X, Y, or Z. You go pull pictures. You put a program together. It, it's not rocket science. You, you fumble your way through it. What we're there to do is to say, hey, let's sit and talk about it and make sure the decisions you're making are the right decisions for your family. Are you spending too much here? Can you save some time there? Can I take some of the burden off as an advocate from you so you can help your family start healing and I can take some of that, that grief for you? So it's, there's a lot there that helps the families. It's not just the planning, but there's so much more. And we, we developed a website, carsonsvillage.org, and that has a timeline on there that walks people through day one, day two, day three on what they need to do all the way through that entire week. We have a resource guide on there that helps them with uh, items such as how to write an obituary, how to write a uh, eulogy, um, things to think about before you go visit the funeral home, all kinds of different job aids and resources. Because what I found is, as you go and look for those things online, you may find something here, something there, but there's not one website that I've found that is a, a resource, a consolidated resource for families to go to when they have these questions. And that's what we want to provide. I think it, you can find anything on the internet. There's anything, a how-to for everything. anything. Yep. And this is the one thing that will eventually touch everyone's lives, and it doesn't exist on the internet, which means it doesn't exist 
it, in real life. The, the consolidation doesn't exist. Now, I don't want to say that the resources we have, we do have some unique content, but you can find bits and pieces here and there. But, you know, when you Google how to write an obituary, I mean, it, all kinds of links come up. Who do I look to? It's all in different formats. Then I've got to find this. It's a different web page. What we want to do is provide one source that people can go to nationwide that'll have all those answers in one place. So instead of having to Google all this and filter through ads and a bunch of junk, they can come to our resource guide, look for what they're trying to find, and we have it broken down by day of the week, we have it broken down alphabetically, and we have it broken down by subject. One of the things that I, I did find most interesting on the website, which once again is carsonsvillage.org, is that you have a six-day plan. You have this marked out on what should happen day one, and that alone would be a great guide for anybody that has to deal with something like this. Is a six-day plan for this type of scenario common, or is that what you guys found to be the best way to handle it? Well, it it, it varies with every family. It, it depends on when the person passes and when they want to have the funeral, they want to do a cremation. Everything is different. So we just put a generic timeline down there to help people uh, go through the process. You know, obviously there's a lot to do day one, day two, day three. As it kind of gets out a little bit, then it starts with scheduling and things. So it's not necessarily the six days. But what we wanted to do was give people an idea of what the main topics were. And then if, if you go to the timeline, it has a description of the topic. It'll have the resources that are there, either internal links or external links, and then it'll have little job aids and things little to help you. So what we want to do is we want to be that resource. Um, I've got my undergrad in engineering and my MBA, and my wife has her undergrad in education and her, and her doctorate, and we're not counselors. You know, we're very detail-oriented, we're very process-focused, but we're not counselors. I mean, we're, we're there to take the burden off the family as much as we can, but we're not there to counsel the family. This is a very operationally-focused timeline. It does seem to have a very engineer-like focus <laughs> yeah. on yeah. something that's very emotional, yeah. which I thought was a really interesting take. It's, like there, it's, it's much like a manual. It's a manual. Yeah. For grief and for dealing yep. with, with loss. Yep, it is. It is. And that, that's probably a positive and a negative, maybe. I, my undergrad, like I said, was in engineering, and so that's the way I think. And I think it's a great way because what you're saying completely makes sense. What you're offering doesn't exist as as a whole. You can find individual things, but when you have something this hectic happening, you don't have time to really process anything, and it's all got to happen relatively fast. So mm -hmm. this is, it seems to be just kind of a uh, a quick easy manual a how-to yep. on, on, on this situation. Is that how you wanted to design that website? Yeah. And, and so some of the resources that we provide are obviously digitally and online, but we have the ability for folks to call in and talk to a live advocate as well. And so if you're not comfortable calling in, we want to give you all those resources free of charge. And, and by the way, everything we do is free of charge. There, there's nothing that we, we provide that we charge for. Uh, we just want to be there to help the families. So a couple of the avenues that, that they can use to find resources are obviously go to the website. They can download whatever they want. It's all right there for them. If they want to uh, have a live advocate that will walk them through, then what they can do is they can call. There's a, a toll-free number, 877-789-0722, and that's the number they can call that hits an answering service. And that answering service will take all the information and then contact us, and we'll get an advocate assigned to the family. So that number, toll-free, is 877. And then have you ever heard of the joke why six is scared of seven? 
I think that I heard this one a long time ago, but you're going to have to give it to me now. Because 789. There, there you go. So I used to tell that joke all the time to the kids, and the kids hated it. And now look who gets the last laugh. It's on the brochure. You're the new king of dad jokes. That's right. So it's 789, and then 0722 is Carson's birthday. So gotcha. he would have been 13 this summer. So it's it's very personal to us. So I get a little dad joke in there, and I get a little little remembrance of Carson in there. But uh, but uh, that's how we use for uh, for folks to contact us. I, I want to ask you about the timeline. So Carson died in 2017, correct? April this 28th. Is, this is not a long time. No. I I have to ask you, and I think that a lot of people listening to this are thinking the same thing. You seem to be processing this very well. Has working on this organization helped you through your process of grief? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. So in the past, I've owned a couple of businesses before. And so I've got a very business mind. And when I saw that there was a gap in services and I saw there was an opportunity to help people, it just, it made sense. I, it would be very hard for me just to go on with my life and say, all right, I've got two kids now. What's next? What are we doing this weekend? Let's go to do X, Y, Z, whatever. And I felt the best way for me to heal would be to help other people. Now, of course, everybody heals differently. Um, there's no right answer there, but that's that's what I did. That's how I heal. And so it was it was pretty quick when we started it up. Was everybody supportive of this idea when you proposed it? Oh, totally. It? So, and in fact, when when we went, so we came up with a concept, and then we went back to uh, Medical City Los Colinas, which is where they took Carson that night. Very very friendly staff. They they've been incredible. Uh, Jeremy Roundtree, who currently works at Medical City, is the assistant nursing officer. Is on my board of directors. They I can't say enough about how much they've helped us. We went back and, and pitched the idea and said, Hey, we think there's a gap. What do you think? And it's amazing, not only that night, and but all the other presentations I made, I get so many people coming up going, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. There's no one out there doing that. That's incredible. Why Why have we not done that to, until this point? And, and no one really knows. And, you know, you kind of think that maybe society's changed a little bit. People are moving around a little more. They don't have as many connections to to the community or to churches or they're, they're away from their family. But it just seems how recently people are becoming a little more isolated. And when something like this happens, they need a service like this so much more. The joke you made earlier about needing a brochure to get through something like this or where is the brochure for this? I, I'm shocked that that really doesn't exist. The the deaths that I've experienced, it seems like somebody takes over who has dealt with this. That somebody has to step in and say, yep. I've done this before, and then they are the guide. But right. not everybody has access to somebody like that. No, they don't. And, and to be fair, I mean, hospitals do have some resources. They'll have a pastoral care uh, uh, staff member. They'll have some resources they'll hand out. So it's not like there's nothing out there. But I think where we add the value, um, you're not going to read anything. And I know that night when Carson passed, I mean, you could have handed me a stack of resources, and there's no way I was going to flip through it and start making notes and highlighting things. You're just not in that mentality. But to have something clean and easy with a toll-free number on there that says, hey, call, and we'll walk you through this process is huge. Because yeah. a lot of times when we go out and we speak to hospitals or uh, police departments, first responders, a lot of times they'll say they're on the scene and a family member or friend will step up and say, I want to help, but I don't know what to do. Can you can you tell me what to do? And the response has been, well, you need to call a funeral home because I don't have another resource for you. And so we want to change that to be call Carson's Village. 
because that's that's the call they need to be making. That's the step they need to make. Because not only we will, will we help them with the funeral home and everything around it, but then we'll help them with everything outside the funeral home. We're there for them to call us anytime they need. Uh, the families I've been helping, I give my personal cell phone number, and I say if you have any questions at all, call me. And every family's different. Sometimes they'll need all the services we offer. Sometimes we'll just want someone to talk to. Sometimes I'll call and talk to them a couple times, and that's it. Then I'll get a call two weeks later, and they'll say, hey, I've got another question for you. Uh, so it just every family is completely different. I try to emphasize to them that every family is different. So don't feel like you have to do what somebody else did because that may not be right for you. You need to do what's right for you and your family. And I just I try to walk them through that whole process. And I think because there's not a charge for what we do, they don't feel like I'm trying to get anything out of it. So it feels like it's coming from a very genuine place, which it is. Jason Dyke is the president and founder of Carson's Village. You can find them online at carsonsvillage.org. On the website, uh, it really focuses on the idea of sudden loss help. Like, this is really what this organization does. I think a lot of people think it's a macabre idea to plan for death in any capacity. I, I think that a lot of the people uh, that are prepared for something like this, they've been thinking about it and dealing with it for a long, a long-term illness, something like this. But for... The people that you're dealing with at sudden loss, it's not a it's not a macabre or gross idea to plan for something like death or to be ready for it in some capacity. Would you agree? Is this something that you have learned through this organization? So I've learned that, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because there's two types of people. And I've found out that there's folks that plan for it and are ready to go and. My dad's one of those guys. He's got everything lined up, and it's all set. There's an 800 number I'm supposed to call, and then it's all it's all done, and and that's fine. And you know, personally, I think that that's great. Uh, and there's some people that that don't want to talk about it, that don't want to deal with it. And we've actually had conversations in hospice situations where you would think of all the situations, those families would go, okay, I know it's coming, I'm going to be prepared, but they don't want to talk about it. They want to just enjoy the time they have with their loved one. And then when it happens, they look up and go, oh my gosh. And, and although Carson passed by suicide, we help families that anything happens. It could be a car accident. It could be uh, stillborn. It could be an elderly um, uh, mom or dad that passes. It could be overdose. It could, just anything at all, we're there to help, to help because we find that there are families out there that everything's fine at 830 in the morning, and they get a phone call at 10, and their world is upside down, and they don't know what to do. They're lost. They don't know what the next step is. And that's when we want someone to hand them our brochure, tell them about us, have them call us, because we can step in and help them navigate that week, because it's tough. Let's talk about that first step. What What is normally the first thing you recommend to someone who gives you guys a call and needs your services? Funny, at first, I thought it was going to be, hey, tell me what you want, and I'll tell you how I can help, but they're so lost, they don't even know. So what I usually do is I obviously offer my condolences and, and, and talk to them. And then I say, all right, let me kind of tell you what we can do for you and tell me what you're trying to do. And so it really starts out kind of being a one-way conversation with me saying, hey, here's what we can do. And then it really kind of evolves into a two-way conversation like, well, we really don't need this, but we could really use some help here. And I didn't even think about this. And, you know, we called around to get uh, some funeral home pricing and there's a little bit of sticker shock. Is that right? And I'm like, well, let's talk about what you're going to get. You know, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's a little inflated. And we can talk about what those costs are. Do people get fleeced? Well, I think that's a, you know. It, You're in such a vulnerable position. And you, you just figuring out how to do this is going to be tough. But then I'm going to cost or I'm going to get quotes on coffins from, what, nine yeah. different dealers. 
it's unrealistic, and it seems like people are obviously very vulnerable in this situation. It seems like people could be taken advantage of. Well, you know, it's a it's a free market economy, and everybody has their their right to to price what they want the way they want to price it. And I understand that, but. On the back side of that, I want to make sure that as families go out there and start talking to funeral homes, that they're getting what they need. Because if they just need a little little bitty car and they're getting sold a Cadillac, then I want to make sure that they get the little bitty car they need. If they want the Cadillac and they want all the bells and whistles and all the nice stuff, then let them get what they want. But the point is to make them walk through and make sure they understand because a lot of times when they go to a funeral home, they're only going to one in particular, mm. and that's the entire world they know. And I want to open their mind up to say, hey, we've got some options here. And, and we've got, we can go through and kind of talk about what you want to do and what you're trying to achieve because maybe you don't need to do everything that you have here. Maybe we can save you a couple bucks. And if it's a family where money is a little short, then that can help them. On your website, I saw that Texas has a burial assist program. Uh, they, yep. Just things like that. I never, ever would have thought that the state would offer something like that. And there you go. You can find things like this on your website. I mean, this is really what you guys yep. are offering. Not only advice, but options. Options. There, in, oh, some, uh, a lot of counties will actually, if, if it's some if family can't pay for a funeral, a lot of counties will, will take the body. Now, they won't get the ashes back. But they'll be able to if if it's a situation where they just need to take care of somebody. It's there's a special situation. The county will accept the body, and the family won't have to pay for it. Now, I've run into families that don't know that they go to a funeral home. They're like, "Oh, you've got to pay us for this and that." And by letting them know of some of the programs out there, you're able to save them some money. And and that's probably money that could be used someplace else as opposed to paying for a cremation they don't need to be paying for. So knowing about those programs is huge. How long has the operation been running? How long have you guys been going? So we uh, we were we were founded, uh, recognized by the IRS on June 27th of 2017, and uh, we got all our ducks in a row that uh, the end of that year. We helped our first family January 13th of this year. I'm kind of going off memory there. Hmm. And so far, we've helped 64 families. Uh, not only we started off, uh, our first family we helped was in Capel. Um, we've since moved to North Texas for some of the relationships that we have. We're registered with the Texas 211 system, so we've had calls across the state. And then recently, my wife and I were interviewed by uh, WFA here in town, and that uh, went out across the country. And we've had calls from California, Oregon, Minnesota, just in folks that have seen the, um, the, the, the uh, interview and have called in to talk to us about uh, their situation. I mean, it's still relatively early in this organization's history. Are you guys looking at expanding more and more? Oh, I, I, the more families we can help, the better. So right now we've got partnerships that we've developed with uh, uh, major hospital chains such as Baylor Scott & White. Uh, the chief mission and ministry officer, Mark Grace, is on our board. And so we, we're working with them. We're talking with insurance companies. Uh, we're talking with police departments. So we've got... Uh, uh, Capel Police Department, which is the town I live in. Um, we're working with Dallas uh, Police Department to, to try to get uh, our brochures in their hands. Um, we've given uh, presentations to uh, Highland Park, to Farmers Branch. Um, just anybody we can get out there and, and tell them about who we are because, again, those those first responders are out there, families are in need, and they don't have a resource, and we want to let them know we're a resource because what we are is an extension. So when the police officer has to get back in his car and drive away, 
there i'm sure there's a little bit of guilt and a little bit of angst because they're like well i, I can't help this family yeah but by handing a handing them that brochure and saying hey call these people i know these people they're going to help you that's an extension of that police department it's an extension of a hospital of an insurance company because they don't have the resources to go through and talk to these people they've got other folks other calls they've got to go to and we're an extension of those services doesn't it seem like a city or police department should already have someone like you in that department? Do you ever see that maybe kind of happening? Well, they, they do. There's some police departments that have um, um, uh, advocates that help. So, uh, But typically those are situations where there's abuse involved or mm. something like that where the, okay. where the, the crime, the, the victim of the crime is still around. In this case, when somebody passes, there have been situations where police departments have a, a victim's advocate that, that can help them, but not every police department does. And then I found with hospitals, um, usually the children's hospitals are really good about having staff and social workers that help the families when there's a child involved. Mm. But as you get outside the, the major metropolitan areas, a lot of those hospitals are smaller. They're not as well staffed. They don't have the ability to help the families uh, You know, once that happens. And so we want to be there to be an extension of those locations as well. Let's talk a little bit about your advocates. Carson's Village offers online support, virtual advocates, and live advocates. Who are the people that are staffing your live advocates? So it's my wife and I. We're the two advocates. And then in June, we onboarded six additional advocates. So there are eight of us total. Uh, one of our advocates uh, speaks Spanish, and so I'm happy to say that we had our first uh, family that we helped in uh, in July that was a Spanish-only family. Uh, the page that we set up for them was in English and in Spanish. Uh, our advocate, Christy, did a phenomenal job helping the family. I'm so glad we could we could be there to help them, and uh, we we want to be able to be we want to be able to help families no matter what language you're in. You know, we want to be there because. Grief is not only for the people that speak English. Everybody has grief, and we want to be there uh, to help all those families that are in need. And that's what you guys are. That's that's go. What you guys are doing. That's what we're doing. Have you found that you keep up with the families that you help? That once this funeral is over, that they don't just disappear. Yeah, so you know each family's different, but uh, there have been families that uh, we've kept up with. Um, one of the families, um, it was a, a woman who lost her husband, and her son was currently going to A and M, and so it was in the spring. And when uh, when he came back from school, we all went to lunch together. So it was her and her son, and uh, April and I and our two boys, and we went and had lunch and got to talk. And of course, we got to ask him all about A and M and what he was studying and what he was doing, and we had a good time and. You know, there are families that uh, that have reached back out to me because of good things, because of bad things. But you find that you start to kind of form that bond with them. And, and that's part of one of the things we want to do, although we're small now, we want to come up with this concept of a village that, that helps. So eventually, as we expand, as more families kind of come into the village, we want to be able to have an organization that not only helps families from the passing of the funeral, but possibly have some type of support structure system that families can get involved with. Because I've found that when when you go talk to a counselor, and I'm sure everybody's completely different, so this is just me, but going and sitting in a circle full of people to try to talk is, is a hard thing to do. But if there's an activity maybe to where everybody's volunteer at a certain organization, you can come and you can 
pick and choose who you talk to and maybe over a sandwich kind of talk about your situation, I think that makes it a little bit easier to open up. And so we'd like to get into a situation where we can have activities for the village and, and bring more folks together once we start kind of getting, getting more and more families into the village. So if people are interested in helping out, the best way for them to do that is? So the way folks can help us, uh, we have events that we go attend uh, uh, that are across DFW where we work tables. We'd love to have people come out and help us work those, hand out Carson's Village information. I've had people reach out to me to ask for information to hand out at their events. Um, people are doing fundraising for us. Uh, right now, um, my wife and I are the ones that, that wrote the checks last year to get it started. We've had a lot of friends that have helped us donate money, but we're trying to, as we ramp and as we scale, that takes, uh, that takes cash. You know, we have to, we're, we're rolling out a new website. We've got new videos we're using. We're working on a database on the backside. We've got some help on PR. Uh, all that takes money. And so people have been doing fundraisers for us here and there. One of the, one of the fundraisers that was done, uh, Jennifer, a friend of ours up in Colorado, walked uh, 11, miles, uh, 11 miles a day for 11 days wow. and raised money. And she raised over $2,000 for us. Great. And it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. And, you know, and, and it's folks like that that want to help because as we do help these families, we find that a lot of times they want to do something in the name of their loved one. And they want to try to contribute and give back, and they don't really know what that is. And, you know, sometimes it's helping the Cancer Society. Sometimes it's, you know, getting involved in a local charity. Uh, but what we'd like to do is kind of get everybody together and, and form that village. And I, and I have to ask to finish it up, your, your sons, is there any chance that they will be able to go to another university besides Texas A&M? Mm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm close to it, but, you know, if they want to <laughs> major in business, A&M's got a great business program. Jason Dyke is the president and founder of Carson's Village. You can find them online at carsonsvillage.org or give them a call. 877-789-0722. Sir, it was great speaking with you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.